Chapter Fourteen of Father Goriot by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Fourteen. The next day was destined to be one of the most extraordinary in the annals of the Maison Vauquer. Hitherto, the most startling occurrence in its tranquil existence had been the portentous, meteor-like apparition of the sham Comtesse de Lambermesnil but the catastrophes of this great day were to cast all previous events into the shade and supply an inexhaustible topic of conversation for madame vauquer and her boarders so long as she lived in the first place goriot and eugene de rastignac both slept till close upon eleven o'clock madame vauquer who came home about midnight from the gaite lay abed till half-past ten christophe after a prolonged slumber he had finished vautrin's first bottle of wine was behindhand with his work but poiret and mademoiselle michonneau uttered no complaint though breakfast was delayed as for victorine and madame couture they also lay late vautrin went out before eight o'clock and only came back just as breakfast was ready nobody protested therefore when sylvie and christophe went up at a quarter past eleven knocked at all the doors and announced that breakfast was waiting while sylvie and the man were upstairs mademoiselle michonneau who came down first poured the contents of the phial into the silver cup belonging to vautrin it was standing with the others in the bain marie that kept the cream hot for the morning coffee the spinster had reckoned on this custom of the house to do her stroke of business the seven lodgers were at last collected together not without some difficulty just as eugene came downstairs stretching himself and yawning a commissionaire handed him a letter from madame de nucingen it ran thus i feel neither false vanity nor anger where you are concerned my friend till two o'clock this morning i waited for you oh that waiting for one whom you love no one that had passed through that torture could inflict it on another i know now that you have never loved before what can have happened anxiety has taken hold of me i would have come myself to find out what had happened if i had not feared to betray the secrets of my heart how can i walk out or drive out at this time of day would it not be ruin i have felt to the full how wretched it is to be a woman send a word to reassure me and explain how it is that you have not come after what my father told you i shall be angry but i will forgive you one word for pity's sake you will come to me soon will you not if you are busy a line will be enough say i will hasten to you or else i am ill but if you were ill my father would have come to tell me so what can have happened yes indeed what has happened exclaimed eugene and hurrying down to the dining-room he crumpled up the letter without reading any more what time is it half-past eleven said vautrin dumping a lump of sugar into his coffee the escaped convict cast a glance at eugene a cold and fascinating glance men gifted with this magnetic power can quell furious lunatics in a madhouse by such a glance it is said eugene shook in every limb there was the sound of wheels in the street and in another moment a man with a scared face rushed into the room it was one of monsieur taillefer's servants madame couture recognized the livery at once 
mademoiselle he cried your father is asking for you something terrible has happened monsieur frederic has had a sword thrust in the forehead in a duel and the doctors have given him up you will scarcely be in time to say good-bye to him he is unconscious poor young fellow exclaimed vautrin how can people brawl when they have a certain income of thirty thousand livres young people have bad manners and that is a fact sir cried eugene well what then you big baby said vautrin swallowing down his coffee imperturbably an operation which mademoiselle michonneau watched with such close attention that she had no emotion to spare for the amazing news that had struck the others dumb with amazement are there not duels every morning in paris added vautrin i will go with you victorine said madame couture and the two women hurried away at once without either hats or shawls but before she went victorine with her eyes full of tears gave eugene a glance that said how little i thought that our happiness should cost me tears dear me you are a prophet monsieur vautrin said madame vauquer i am all sorts of things said vautrin queer isn't it said madame vauquer stringing together a succession of commonplaces suited to the occasion death takes us off without asking us about it the young often go before the old it is a lucky thing for us women that we are not liable to fight duels but we have other complaints that men don't suffer from we bear children and it takes a long time to get over it what a windfall for victorine her father will have to acknowledge her now there said vautrin looking at eugene yesterday she had not a penny this morning she has several millions to her fortune i say monsieur eugene cried madame vauquer you have landed on your feet at this exclamation father goriot looked at the student and saw the crumpled letter still in his hand you have not read it through what does this mean are you going to be like the rest of them he asked madame i shall never marry mademoiselle victorine said eugene turning to madame vauquer with an expression of terror and loathing that surprised the onlookers at this scene father goriot caught the student's hand and grasped it warmly he could have kissed it oh said vautrin the italians have a good proverb col tempo is there any answer said madame de nucingen's messenger addressing eugene say that i will come directly the man went eugene was in a state of such violent excitement that he could not be prudent what is to be done he exclaimed aloud there are no proofs vautrin began to smile though the drug he had taken was doing its work the convict was so vigorous that he rose to his feet gave rastignac a look and said in hollow tones luck comes to us while we sleep young man and fell stiff and stark as if he were struck dead so there is a divine justice said eugene well if ever what has come to that poor dear monsieur vautrin a stroke cried mademoiselle michonneau here sylvie girl run for the doctor called the widow oh monsieur rastignac just go for monsieur bianchon and be as quick as you can sylvie might not be in time to catch our doctor monsieur Grimprel. rastignac was glad of an excuse to leave that den of horrors 
His hurry for the doctor was nothing but a flight. Here, Christophe, go round to the chemist's and ask for something that's good for the apoplexy. Christophe likewise went. Father Goriot, just help us to get him upstairs. Vautrin was taken up among them, carried carefully up the narrow staircase, and laid upon his bed. I can do no good here, so I shall go to see my daughter, said Monsieur Goriot. Selfish old thing, cried Madame Vauquer. Yes, go. I wish you may die like a dog. Just go and see if you can find some ether, said Mademoiselle Michonneau to Madame Vauquer. The former, with some help from Poiret, had unfastened the sick man's clothes. Madame Vauquer went down to her room and left Mademoiselle Michonneau mistress of the situation. Now, just pull down his shirt and turn him over, quick. You might be of some use in sparing my modesty, she said to Poiret, instead of standing there like a stock. Vautrin was turned over. Mademoiselle Michonneau gave his shoulder a sharp slap, and the two portentous letters appeared, white against the red. "'There, you have earned your three thousand francs very easily,' exclaimed Poiret, supporting Vautrin while Mademoiselle Michonneau slipped on the shirt again. "'Oof, how heavy he is!' he added, as he laid the convict down. "'Hush! Suppose there is a strong-box here,' said the old maid briskly. Her glances seemed to pierce the walls. She scrutinized every article of the furniture with greedy eyes. "'Could we find some excuse for opening that desk?' it mightn't be quite right responded poiret to this where is the harm it is money stolen from all sorts of people so it doesn't belong to any one now but we haven't time there is the vauquer here is the ether said that lady i must say that this is an eventful day lord that man can't have had a stroke he is as white as curds white as curds echoed poiret and his pulse is steady, said the widow, laying her hand on his breast. Steady, said the astonished Poiret. He is all right. Do you think so? asked Poiret. Lord, yes, he looks as if he were sleeping. Sylvie has gone for a doctor. I say, Mademoiselle Michonneau, he is sniffing the ether. Pooh, it is only a spasm. His pulse is good. He is as strong as a Turk. Just look, mademoiselle, what a fur tippet he has on his chest. That is the sort of man to live till he is a hundred. His wig holds on tightly, however. Dear me, it is glued on, and his own hair is red. That is why he wears a wig. They say that red-haired people are either the worst or the best. Is he one of the good ones, I wonder? Good to hang, said Poiret. "'Round a pretty woman's neck, you mean,' said Mademoiselle Michonneau hastily. "'Just go away, Monsieur Poiret. It is a woman's duty to nurse you men when you are ill. Besides, for all the good you are doing, you may as well take yourself off,' she added. "'Madame Vauquer and I will take great care of dear Monsieur Vautrin.' Poiret went out on tiptoe without a murmur, like a dog kicked out of the room by his master." Rastignac had gone out for the sake of physical exertion. He wanted to breathe the air. He felt stifled. Yesterday evening he had meant to prevent the murder arranged for half-past eight that morning. What had happened? What ought he to do now? He trembled to think that he himself might be implicated. 
Vautrin's coolness still further dismayed him. Yet how if Vautrin should die without saying a word? Rastignac asked himself. He hurried along the alleys of the Luxembourg gardens as if the hounds of justice were after him, and he already heard the baying of the pack. Well, shouted Bianchon, you have seen the pilote? The pilote was a radical sheet, edited by Monsieur Tissot. It came out several hours later than the morning papers, and was meant for the benefit of country subscribers, for it brought the morning news into provincial districts twenty-four hours sooner than the ordinary local journals. "'There is a wonderful history in it,' said the house-student of the Hôpital Cochin. "'Young Taillefer called out Count Francesini of the Old Guard, and the Count put a couple of inches of steel into his forehead.' and here is little victorine one of the richest heiresses in paris if we had known that eh what a game of chance death is they say victorine was sweet on you was there any truth in it shut up bianchon i shall never marry her i am in love with a charming woman and she is in love with me so you said that as if you were screwing yourself up to be faithful to her i should like to see the woman worth the sacrifice of master taillefer's money are all the devils of hell at my heels cried rastignac what is the matter with you are you mad give us your hand said bianchon and let me feel your pulse you are feverish just go to mother vauquer's said rastignac that scoundrel vautrin has dropped down like one dead aha said bianchon leaving rastignac to his reflections you confirm my suspicions and now i mean to make sure for myself the law student's long walk was a memorable one for him. He made in some sort a survey of his conscience. After a close scrutiny, after hesitation and self-examination, his honor, at any rate, came out scatheless from this sharp and terrible ordeal, like a bar of iron tested in the English fashion. He remembered Father Goriot's confidences of the evening before. He recollected the rooms taken for him in the Rue d'Artois, so that he might be near Delphine, and then he thought of his letter, and read it again, and kissed it. "'Such a love is my anchor of safety,' he said to himself. "'How the old man's heart must have been wrung! He says nothing about all that he has been through, but who could not guess? Well, then, I will be like a son to him. His life shall be made happy.' If she cares for me, she will often come to spend the day with him. That grand comtesse de Resto is a heartless thing. She would make her father into her hall porter. Dear Delphine, she is kinder to the old man. She is worthy to be loved. Ah, this evening I shall be very happy. He took out his watch and admired it. I have had nothing but success. If two people mean to love each other for ever, they may help each other, and I can take this. Besides, I shall succeed, and I will pay her a hundredfold. There is nothing criminal in this liaison, nothing that could cause the most austere moralist to frown. How many respectable people contract similar unions? We deceive nobody. It is deception that makes a position humiliating. If you lie, you lower yourself at once she and her husband have lived apart for a long while besides how have i called upon that alsatian to resign a wife whom he cannot make happy 
rastignac's battle with himself went on for a long while and though the scruples of youth inevitably gained the day an irresistible curiosity led him about half-past four to return to the maison vauquer through the gathering dusk bianchon had given vautrin an emetic reserving the contents of the stomach for chemical analysis at the hospital mademoiselle michonneau's officious alacrity had still further strengthened his suspicions of her vautrin moreover had recovered so quickly that it was impossible not to suspect some plot against the leader of all frolics at the lodging-house vautrin was standing in front of the stove in the dining-room when rastignac came in all the lodgers were assembled sooner than usual by the news of young taillefer's duel they were anxious to hear any detail about the affair and to talk over the probable change in victorine's prospects father goriot alone was absent but the rest were chatting no sooner did eugene come into the room than his eyes met the inscrutable gaze of vautrin it was the same look that had read his thoughts before the look that had such power to waken evil thoughts in his heart he shuddered well dear boy said the escaped convict i am likely to cheat death for a good while yet according to these ladies i have had a stroke that would have felled an ox and came off with flying colors a bull you might say cried the widow you really might be sorry to see me still alive said vautrin in rastignac's ear thinking that he guessed the student's thoughts you must be mighty sure of yourself mademoiselle michonneau was talking the day before yesterday about a gentleman named trompe la mort said bianchon and upon my word that name would do very well for you vautrin seemed thunderstruck he turned pale and staggered back he turned his magnetic glance like a ray of vivid light on mademoiselle michonneau the old maid shrank and trembled under the influence of that strong will and collapsed into a chair the mask of good nature had dropped from the convict's face from the unmistakable ferocity of that sinister look poiret felt that the old maid was in danger and hastily stepped between them none of the lodgers understood this scene in the least they looked on in mute amazement there was a pause just then there was a sound of tramping feet outside there were soldiers there it seemed for there was a ring of several rifles on the pavement of the street collin was mechanically looking round the walls for a way of escape when four men entered by way of the sitting-room in the name of the king and the law said an officer but the words were almost lost in a murmur of astonishment silence fell on the room the lodgers made way for three of the men who had each a hand on a cocked pistol in a side pocket two policemen who followed the detectives kept the entrance to the sitting-room and two more men appeared in the doorway that gave access to the staircase a sound of footsteps came from the garden and again the rifles of several soldiers rang on the cobblestones under the window all chance of salvation by flight was cut off for trompe la mort to whom all eyes instinctively turned the chief walked straight up to him and commenced operations by giving him a sharp blow on the head so that the wig fell off and collin's face was revealed in all its ugliness there was a terrible suggestion of strength mingled with cunning 
in the short brick-red crop of hair the whole head was in harmony with his powerful frame and at that moment the fires of hell seemed to gleam from his eyes in that flash the real vautrin shone forth revealed at once before them all they understood his past his present and future his pitiless doctrines his actions the religion of his own good pleasure the majesty with which his cynicism and contempt for mankind invested him the physical strength of an organization proof against all trials the blood flew to his face and his eyes glared like the eyes of a wildcat he started back with savage energy and a fierce growl that grew exclamations of alarm from the lodgers at that leonine start the police caught at their pistols under cover of the general clamor collin saw the gleaming muzzles of the weapons saw his danger and instantly gave proof of a power of the highest order there was something horrible and majestic in the spectacle of the sudden transformation in his face he could only be compared to a cauldron full of the steam that can send mountains flying a terrific force dispelled in a moment by a drop of cold water the drop of water that cooled his wrathful fury was a reflection that flashed across his brain like lightning he began to smile and looked down at his wig you are not in the politest of humors to-day he remarked to the chief and he held out his hands to the policeman with a jerk of his head gentlemen he said put on the bracelets or the handcuffs i call on those present to witness that i make no resistance a murmur of admiration ran through the room at the sudden outpouring like fire and lava flood from this human volcano and its equally sudden cessation there's a cell for you master crusher the convict added looking at the famous director of police come strip said he of the petite roussinhan contemptuously why asked collin there are ladies present i deny nothing and surrender he paused and looked round the room like an orator who is about to overwhelm his audience take this down daddy la chapelle he went on addressing a little white-haired old man who had seated himself at the end of the table and after drawing a printed form from the portfolio was proceeding to draw up a document i acknowledge myself to be jacques collin otherwise known as trompe la mort condemned to twenty years penal servitude and i have just proved that i have come fairly by my nickname if i had as much as raised my hand he went on addressing the other lodgers those three sneaking wretches yonder would have drawn claret on mamma vauquer's domestic hearth the rogues have laid their heads together to set a trap for me madame vauquer felt sick and faint at these words good lord she cried this does give one a turn and me at the gaite with him only last night she said to sylvie summon your philosophy mamma collin resumed is it a misfortune to have sat in my box at the gaite yesterday evening after all are you better than we are the brand upon our shoulders is less shameful than the brand set on your hearts you flabby members of a society rotten to the core not the best man among you could stand up to me his eyes rested on rastignac to whom he spoke with a pleasant smile that seemed strangely at variance with the savage expression in his eyes 
our little bargain still holds good dear boy you can accept any time you like do you understand and he sang a charming girl is my fanchette in her simplicity don't you trouble yourself he went on i can get in my money they are too much afraid of me to swindle me the convict's prison its language and customs its sudden sharp transitions from the humorous to the horrible its appalling grandeur its triviality and its dark depths were all revealed in turn by the speaker's discourse he seemed to be no longer a man but the type and mouthpiece of a degenerate race a brutal supple clear-headed race of savages in one moment colin became the poet of an inferno wherein all thoughts and passions that move human nature save repentance find a place he looked about him like a fallen archangel who is for war to the end rastignac lowered his eyes and acknowledged this kinship claimed by crime as an expiation of his own evil thoughts who betrayed me said colin and his terrible eyes travelled round the room suddenly they rested on mademoiselle michonneau it was you old cat he said that sham stroke of apoplexy was your doing lynx eyes two words from me and your throat would be cut in less than a week but i forgive you i am a christian you did not sell me either but who did Aha, you may rummage upstairs he shouted hearing the police officers opening his cupboards and taking possession of his effects the nest is empty the birds flew away yesterday and you will be none the wiser my ledgers are here he said tapping his forehead now i know who sold me it could only be that blackguard fee de soie that is who it was old catchpole eh he said turning to the chief it was timed so neatly to get the bank-notes up above there there is nothing left for you spies as for fee de soie he will be under the daisies in less than a fortnight even if you were to tell off the whole force to protect him how much did you give the michonette he asked of the police officers a thousand crowns oh you ninon in decay pompadour in tatters venus of the graveyard i was worth more than that if you had given me warning you should have had six thousand francs ah you had no suspicion of that old trafficker in flesh and blood or i should have had the preference yes i would have given six thousand francs to save myself an inconvenient journey and some loss of money he said as they fastened the handcuffs on his wrists these folks will amuse themselves by dragging out this business till the end of time to keep me idle if they were to send me straight to jail i should soon be back at my old tricks in spite of the duffers at the quai des Orfèvres down yonder they will all turn themselves inside out to help their general their good trompe la mort to get clear away is there a single one among you that can say as i can that he has ten thousand brothers ready to do anything for him he asked proudly there is some good there he said tapping his heart i have never betrayed any one look you here you slut he said to the old maid they are all afraid of me do you see but the sight of you turns them sick rake in your gains 
He was silent for a moment and looked round at the lodgers' faces. "'What dolts you are, all of you! Have you never seen a convict before? A convict of Collin's stamp, whom you see before you, is a man less weak-kneed than others.' He lifts up his voice against the colossal fraud of the social contract, as Jean-Jacques did, whose pupil he is proud to declare himself. In short, I stand here single-handed against a government and a whole subsidized machinery of tribunals and police, and I am a match for them all. Ye gods, cried the painter, what a magnificent sketch one might make of him. Look here, you gentlemen in waiting to His Highness of the Gibbet, master of ceremonies to the widow, a nickname full of sombre poetry given by prisoners to the guillotine. Be a good fellow and tell me if it really was Fidesois who sold me. I don't want him to suffer for someone else. That would not be fair. But before the chief had time to answer, the rest of the party returned from making their investigations upstairs. Everything had been opened and inventoried. A few words passed between them and the chief, and the official preliminaries were complete. "'Gentlemen,' said Collin, addressing the lodgers, "'they will take me away directly. You have all made my stay among you very agreeable, and I shall look back upon it with gratitude. Receive my adieu, and permit me to send you figs from Provence.' He advanced a step or two, and then turned to look once more at Rastignac. "'Good-bye, Eugène,' he said, in a sad and gentle tone, a strange transition from his previous rough and stern manner. "'If you should be hard up, I have left you a devoted friend.' And, in spite of his shackles, he managed to assume a posture of defence, called one, two like a fencing master, and lunged. If anything goes wrong, apply in that quarter. Man and money, all at your service. The strange speaker's manner was sufficiently burlesque, so that no one but Rastignac knew that there was a serious meaning underlying the pantomime. As soon as the police, soldiers, and detectives had left the house, Sylvie, who was rubbing her mistress's temples with vinegar, looked round at the bewildered lodgers. Well, said she, he was a man, he was, for all that. Her words broke the spell. Everyone had been too much excited, too much moved by very various feelings to speak. But now the lodgers began to look at each other, and then all eyes were turned at once on Mademoiselle Michonneau, a thin, shriveled, dead-alive, mummy-like figure crouching by the stove. Her eyes were downcast, as if she feared that the green eye-shade could not shut out the expression of those faces from her. This figure and the feeling of repulsion she had so long excited were explained all at once. A smothered murmur filled the room. It was so unanimous that it seemed as if the same feeling of loathing had pitched all the voices in one key. Mademoiselle Michonneau heard it and did not stir. It was Bianchon who was the first to move. He bent over his neighbor and said in a low voice, If that creature is going to stop here and have dinner with us, I shall clear out. In the twinkling of an eye it was clear that everyone in the room, save Poiret, was of the medical student's opinion. 
so that the latter, strong in the support of the majority, went up to that elderly person. "'You are more intimate with Mademoiselle Michelot than the rest of us,' he said. "'Speak to her. Make her understand that she must go, and go at once.' "'At once?' echoed Poiret in amazement. Then he went across to the crouching figure and spoke a few words in her ear. "'I have paid beforehand for the quarter. I have as much right to be here as any one else,' she said, with a viperous look at the boarders. "'Never mind that. We will club together and pay you the money back,' said Rastignac. "'Monsieur is taking Collin's part,' she said, with a questioning malignant glance at the law student. "'It is not difficult to guess why.' Eugène started forward at the words as if he meant to spring upon her and wring her neck. That glance, and the depths of treachery that had revealed, had been a hideous enlightenment. "'Let her alone!' cried the boarders. Rastignac folded his arms and was silent. "'Let us have no more of Mademoiselle Judas,' said the painter, turning to Madame Vauquer. "'If you don't show the Michonneau the door, madame, we shall all leave your shop, and wherever we go we will say that there are only convicts and spies left there. If you do the other thing, we will hold our tongues about the business, for when all is said and done it might happen in the best society until they brand them on the forehead when they send them to the hulks. They ought not to let convicts go about Paris disguised like decent citizens so as to carry on their antics like a set of rascally humbugs, which they are. At this Madame Vauquer recovered miraculously. She sat up and folded her arms. Her eyes were wide open now, and there was no sign of tears in them. "'Why, do you really mean to be the ruin of my establishment, my dear sir? There is Monsieur Vautrin.' "'Goodness!' she cried, interrupting herself. "'I can't help calling him by the name he passed himself off by for an honest man. "'There is one room to let already, "'and you want me to turn out two more lodgers in the middle of the season, "'when no one is moving?' "'Gentlemen, let us take our hats and go and dine at Flicoteau's in the Place Sorbonne,' cried Bianchon. Madame Vauquer glanced round and saw in a moment on which side her interest lay. She waddled across to Mademoiselle Michonneau. "'Come now,' she said. "'You would not be the ruin of my establishment, would you, eh? "'There's a dear, kind soul. "'You see what a pass these gentlemen have brought me to. "'Just go up to your room for this evening.' "'Never a bit of it,' cried the boarders. "'She must go and go this minute.' "'But the poor lady has had no dinner,' said Poiret, with piteous entreaty. She can go and dine where she likes, shouted several voices. Turn her out, the spy. Turn them both out, spies. Gentlemen, cried Poiret, his heart swelling with the courage that love gives to the ovine male. Respect the weaker sex. Spies are of no sex, said the painter. A precious sexorama. Turn her into the streetorama. "'Gentlemen, this is not manners. If you turn people out of the house, it ought not to be done so unceremoniously and with no notice at all. We have paid our money, and we are not going,' said Poiret, putting on his cap and taking a chair beside Mademoiselle Michonneau, with whom Madame Vauquer was remonstrating. "'Naughty boy,' said the painter with a comical look. "'Run away, naughty little boy.' "'Look here,' said Bianchon, "'if you do not go, all the rest of us will.' 
and the boarders to a man made for the sitting-room door oh mademoiselle what is to be done cried madame vauquer i am a ruined woman you can't stay here they will go further do something violent mademoiselle michonneau rose to her feet she is going she is not going she is going no she isn't these alternate exclamations and a suggestion of hostile intentions borne out by the behavior of the insurgents compelled mademoiselle michonneau to take her departure she made some stipulations speaking in a low voice in her hostess's ear and then i shall go to madame bounot's she said with a threatening look go where you please mademoiselle said madame vauquer who regarded this choice of an opposition establishment as an atrocious insult go and lodge with the bounot the wine would give a cat the colic and the food is cheap and nasty the boarders stood aside in two rows to let her pass not a word was spoken poiret looked so wistfully after mademoiselle michonneau and so artlessly revealed that he was in two minds whether to go or stay that the boarders in their joy at being quit of mademoiselle michonneau burst out laughing at the sight of him poiret shouted the painter hallo i say poiret hallo the employee from the museum began to sing Partant pour la cerie, la gêne est beau du noir. Get along with you, you must be dying to go. Trahit sur quemque voluptus, said Bianchon. Everyone to his taste, free rendering from Virgil, said the tutor. Mademoiselle Michonneau made a movement as if to take Poiret's arm, with an appealing glance that he could not resist. The two went out together, the old maid leaning upon him, and there was a burst of applause followed by peals of laughter bravo poiret who would have thought it of old poiret apollo poiret mars poiret intrepid poiret a messenger came in at that moment with a letter for madame vauquer who read it through and collapsed in her chair the house might as well be burned down at once cried she if there are to be any more of these thunderbolts young taillefer died at three o'clock this afternoon it serves me right for wishing well to those ladies at that poor man's expense madame couture and victorine want me to send their things because they are going to live with her father monsieur taillefer allows his daughter to keep old madame couture as her lady companion four rooms to let and five lodgers gone she sat up and seemed about to burst into tears bad luck has come to lodge here i think she cried once more there came a sound of wheels from the street outside what another windfall for somebody was sylvie's comment but it was goriot who came in looking so radiant so flushed with happiness that he seemed to have grown young again goriot in a cab cried the boarders the world is coming to an end the good soul made straight for Eugène, who was standing wrapped in thought in a corner, and laid a hand on the young man's arm. Come, he said, with gladness in his eyes. Then you haven't heard the news, said Eugène. Vautrin was an escaped convict. They have just arrested him, and young Taillefer is dead. Very well, but what business is it of ours? replied Father Goriot i am going to dine with my daughter in your house do you understand she is expecting you come 
he carried off rastignac with him by main force and they departed in as great a hurry as a pair of eloping lovers now let us have dinner cried the painter and every one drew his chair to the table well i never said the portly sylvie nothing goes right to-day the haricot mutton has caught bah you will have to eat it burned as it is more's the pity madame vauquer was so dispirited that she could not say a word as she looked round the table and saw only ten people where eighteen should be but every one tried to comfort and cheer her at first the dinner contingent as was natural talked about vautrin and the day's events but the conversation wound round to such topics of interest as duels jails justice prison life and alterations that ought to be made in the laws they soon wandered miles away from jacques collin and victorine and her brother there might be only ten of them but they made noise enough for twenty indeed there seemed to be more of them than usual that was the only difference between yesterday and to-day indifference to the fate of others is a matter of course in this selfish world which on the morrow of tragedy seeks among the events of paris for a fresh sensation for its daily renewed appetite and this indifference soon gained the upper hand madame vauquer herself grew calmer under the soothing influence of hope and the mouthpiece of hope was the portly sylvie End of chapter 14